listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire, and I want to talk from the scripture uh, today and analyze it in light of current events and prophecy, and most importantly, your life and my life, and the people we know, and the people we are going to encounter, and the people that need to be reached. And this is not something that I'm embarrassed uh, about talking about at all. The, the primary purpose that you and I are alive, among many other very important purposes, is that we're supposed to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that means in, in word and in action, and it should result in fruit. In other words, as the Bible continually makes reference to this biblical concept, and let me underscore that this is a biblical concept concept <clears throat> that emerges from a biblical worldview beginning in Genesis, and that is the concept of a seed being planted or sown into the earth, and then a resurrection or a seed being planted or uh, animals or uh, humankind mating and producing uh, offspring. Jesus says, or in the, the triune God says in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. So this concept is inherent in Scripture, beginning in the book of Genesis and ending in the book of Revelation. So what's the bottom line? The bottom line is that the, the big question that everybody needs to ask themselves, and that when you think of people, the big question is, is your name written in the book of life? And there's only one way, by the way, to have your name written in the book of life. Now, you may resist that. You may buckle at that. That may antagonize you. Well, that isn't my statement. That isn't my theory. It's not my concept. It's not my idea. It is a statement from the Word of God. And you say, well, I don't believe in the Word of God. You know what? Making a determination on whether or not Jesus Christ, for example, is God, deciding whether or not the God of the Bible is the true God, the real God, evaluating Jesus Christ who is called the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And you may not like that. You may resist that. You may intensely dislike uh, what the Bible has to say. And most people who intensely dislike what the Bible has to say, by the way, really have never read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. They've cherry-picked a few verses, probably took them out of context, and then they base their rejection or their hatred or their antagonism based on having no information or very little information. But whether or not you believe in God, the God of the Bible, and Jesus Christ or not, really, it would be a tragedy if you did not believe in Jesus Christ. But, but the other question is, God does not need uh, to have you believe in him in order for him to exist. 
In other words, just because you or some other individual or a group of individuals or whatever have made the decision not to believe that Jesus Christ is God, just because you made that decision, that does not impact the reality of the fact that Jesus Christ is God, whether or not you believe in him or not. In other words, God does not need your permission to exist, both in the world, in eternity, and in every realm. God doesn't need your permission, and God doesn't need your belief to exist. God doesn't cease existing because transhumanists or humanists or this religion or this cult or whatever decides to stop believing in Jesus Christ. Again, just because you have decided not to believe in Jesus doesn't mean Jesus just vanishes into nothingness. Because one of the central arguments among humanists and atheists, and and I know because I was raised, I grew up in a humanist, atheistic household, Uh, That was what I was taught as a child. I know that when a humanist or an existentialist or a transhumanist or whatever makes the decision to stop believing or to not believe in Jesus Christ as God, that doesn't make God go away. And a, a very obvious proof of that is the fact that you wouldn't spend so many hours of your lifetime arguing endlessly, fighting endlessly, opposing endlessly, declaring a war of censorship against God, against Jesus Christ, trying every humanistic way possible to obliterate the reality of God, the biblical God, and the reality of Jesus Christ. You would not expend so much of your life's energy. You know, Bertrand Russell, the the greatly deluded intellectual part of the Fabian Socialist group, of which Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, uh, came from. Uh, Julian Huxley, the first transhumanist and the, the, the first signer of the Humanist Manifesto, all declared that there was no God and that man was God. But they devoted, especially Bertrand Russell, he devoted, he even wrote a book, Why I'm Not a Christian. Why do, you, why do you have to spend the rest of your life attempting to negate or erase the reality, the historic reality, of a God who you say doesn't exist? In other words, that would be the equivalent of spending a lifetime arguing against the, the, the alleged reality of a fairy tale. One, In my opinion, one of the proofs of God's existence, one of the proofs of Christ's existence, is the fact that people spend so much energy, time, effort attempting to shut down or humanistically make the reality of Jesus Christ and the reality of the Bible disappear. If it wasn't true, if the whole thing was a myth, as you say it is, then why do you waste your time arguing against a myth? A myth will eventually disintegrate by itself. So, the real question beneath all of this, by the way, is never what people say it is. When you dig deep enough, the root question always comes down to this, and this is what you ask yourself, or should, 
It's what I have had to ask myself, and I have. And that is, is your name written in the book of life? That's the most important question that there is. Because the condition, not your opinion, not my opinion, my opinion is irrelevant. Your opinion is irrelevant. But the big question is relevant. And that is, is your name, is my name written? in the Book of Life. And why that is so important, as the vast majority of you know, why that is so important, it is because, according to the Word of God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the condition for entering, for being given the gift of eternal life and entering heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and God's true kingdom of heaven. The condition is that you have to do what God tells you you have to do to enter into heaven and receive eternal life. And if you don't do it, you forfeit the right to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You lose the right to enter into God's God's eternal kingdom. Now, let me read you something from the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, um, it says in Revelation chapter 20, starting at verse 11, Then I saw a a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, that would be like, you know, average person and the globalist elite, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And so it continues on, talking about even people who died a death by drowning in the sea. It says, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And then it talks about uh, a a temporal, dimensional habitation called death and Hades. It's like a, a waiting chamber. And some will be delivered up from death and Hades. And then they will be judged, each one according to his or her works. And then this temporal uh, place where people wait, no, it's not purgatory, by the way, this temporal place where these people wait, known as death and Hades, were cast into the lake of fire. So death and Hades as a dimensional, an extra-dimensional waiting place Death and Hades was cast into the lake of fire itself. So that entire waiting compartment, including the people in it, um, are cast into the lake of fire, another dimension, sealed off from the dimension of heaven. Verse 15, it says, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay, so the, the, the takeaway here is, that if your name is not written in the book of life, 
then you will not enter heaven and you're, you will be cast into the lake of fire. Whether you believe in it or not, I'm not talking about whether you believe in salvation or Jesus Christ as your Savior or not. I'm talking about whether you choose to believe in the reality of what the Bible's talking about. Whether you believe it or not, it still exists and it's still going to happen. So people are always, you know, defying God, rebelling against God, a God they say they don't believe in. But the interesting thing about that, and I know firsthand, as many of you know firsthand, what it's like to be walking in rebellion against God, even though you pretend that there is no God, deep inside, you, you, deep inside, you, you are in an agonizing predicament because you are rebelling against God and Jesus, whom you say, who I used to say, is not God. Now, I knew that Jesus was something, but I didn't believe he was God, or at least the only God. So this is where the predicament that modern man contemporary culture has. And you see, when you reject the Savior, and that's what this is really all about, when you reject the Savior, you say, who's the Savior? That should be obvious. The only person in human history that resurrected from the dead after he was crucified in front of witnesses, the only person who resurrected from the dead was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, and then soon after he resurrected from the dead, Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And the Bible teaches in numerous places throughout the Old Testament, the Bible teaches the reality of a sacrificial lamb, that the Jews would put to death uh, a lamb as a sacrifice, because that ceremony of sacrificing a lamb for their sins as a people and their sins as an individual um, was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was yet to come. So they were acting out a ritual which God honored. At that time, God honored that ritual because it was backed up with a belief in uh, the coming of their Messiah, which is the coming of Jesus Christ. So the question is, is your name written in the Book of Life? Now, people who say they don't believe in God, they, and, and they, the, the people behind the global reset, that they're, they, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a repeat of the Huxleys and Bertrand Russell and that whole crowd. They're, they're, they're pompously thumping their chests and claiming to be God and uh, believing in a, in a delusion that technology and science and artificial intelligence will, will give them the power to be God, will give them uh, immortality, but it's not going to give them the power to be God, and it will not give them immortality. Why? Because God, it is God alone that is the author of life and death. And once a man dies, and, and reality and the Bible itself teaches us that every man and every woman that lives is in the process of dying and will at some point in the future die. 
The only exception would be those believers in Jesus Christ who, who, are, who are alive when Jesus Christ returns at the second coming. They will, they will not die a physical death. But everybody else dies a physical death. And, and, and that is part of the judgment of God against our common genetic ancestors' sin, Adam and Eve. When they rejected the word of God, they chose to listen to the serpent of old, and uh, they ate of the, the forbidden fruit and believed the lies of Satan. And that caused what is known theologically as the fall of man. And the fall of man was the issuing by a just God of a, of a death force that invaded the human race and is still in operation to this very day. Every man and woman born is born with the activation of the law of sin and death operating in their body, souls, and spirit. Every person born is a product of what the Bible defines as the fall of man. See, because man was created to be, and this is the critical thing, you've got to get beyond religion. You've got to get beyond the, the, the quote, religion of Christianity. and You have to enter into the realm of truth. It's where the, the power is, and the reality is, when you enter the realm of truth, as long as you're walking in deception or delusion or in its final manifestation, the great lie, as long as you're walking around in a lie, you, you cannot believe the truth. And it is only the truth that can set you free. Nothing else. Not a counterfeit. A counterfeit can't set you free. Only the truth can set you free. So the question is, is your name written in the book of life? Because if it is not, you cannot enter heaven. You cannot receive the gift of eternal life. And God does not need your permission, and God does not need you to believe in him or in the Bible in order for you to have eternal life. Now, I want to define what I'm saying by that. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you can reject believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. I'm not saying you can reject God's Word. I'm not saying that you can simply reject and dismiss Jesus Christ. Um, you can, on one level, you can pompously declare yourself that you're God and declare that there is no God. But again, God does not need your permission to exist. God is truth, and he exists whether or not you give him permission or whether or not you believe in him. But here's the important distinction. You need to believe in God. You need to believe and put your faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. You need to believe in those things. Not because God needs your permission to exist, but you need to believe in those things, because it is only through believing in those things, those specific things, salvation by faith, you need to believe in those specific things in order 
to receive God's free gift of eternal life. And the only way you can have your sins forgiven, and we're all sinners, that's the point. You can say you're not sin, and you can go down an infinite list of sins and keep and rebrand what, what modern Americans and Europeans and people all over the world are doing is they're trying to rebrand sin and the Word of God. So if when they are looking at the Word of God and they see something that the Bible defines as a sin, such as lying, you, you don't get rid of the problem that lying is a sin by simply attempting to rebrand it and, and by simply saying lying is not a sin. And that's what we do in, in modern culture all over the world, America especially. We take a sin and we reclassify it, we rebrand it, and we, we say, okay, um, I'm no longer going to call the Ten Commandments sins. I'm going to call them suggestions or options, or probably the preferable marketing term for modern man would be I'm going to redefine the Ten Commandments as choices. So if I choose to go against the Ten Commandments, I have the right to do that because I'm simply making a choice. Well, you can make the choice to uh, oppose God's definition of sin, but when God offers you or tells you, through the historical account of Jesus Christ, that the only way into heaven is to receive Christ by faith, to receive the forgiveness of your sins by faith in the Son of God. That's the only way that you can become born again. The term born again is is far more than a cliche word, far more. Because you see, you have to be born again because the, your present self, my present self, is in the process of dying. And it's at a certain point in time, you will die, I will die, and everybody you see alive at this particular moment, unless Christ comes sooner than that, they will all die. So the only way you can avoid death and inherit the gift of eternal life is to make sure that you have your name written in the Book of Life. And this right here is the crux of, and the deep roots of so many inner conflicts, so, so much of the anxiety that people are gripped with, and on and on, has to do with the active suppression of, that they know deep down inside, that they are sinners. They reject it intellectually, but in their gut, in their in the core of their being, call it their intuitive being or whatever you want to call it, they know that they know that God exists and that they are not right with God and that they're in rebellion from God. And I want to crack that door open in a moment and share with you the explosive truth which emerges for anyone who obeys God's commandments, and how that relates to whether or not your name is written in the Book of Life. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. Be sure to visit paulmcguire.us. We have so many free resources for you. 
And uh, we have so many social media outlets that we're on, the Roku channel and articles and all kinds of free stuff that you should be spreading to others and, and nourishing yourself on stuff that will build you up and strengthen you and give you, give you the power to overcome both eternally and in this lifetime. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. We'll be back in just a moment. Again, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. We're talking about the reality of what the Book of Revelation calls the Book of Life. And whether or not you believe in it or not, the Book of Life exists. And if you have chosen to reject God's free offer of salvation in Jesus Christ, according to the Word of God, your name presently is not written in the Book of Life. And when you die, and we will all die at some point, and those people that have rejected God's free offer of salvation in Jesus Christ by faith, the result is your name is not written in the Book of Life. And so this, is, this sounds like a complicated theological truth, which I'm going to share with you, but it's not. So many of the truths that people think are complicated are really simple. Somebody would bother to explain it in a really simple manner, and that's what I attempt to do on Paul McGuire report. Okay, so the consequences of your name not being written in the Book of Life, what happens is you have chosen to reject God's free offer of salvation in Christ, and therefore your name is not written in the Book of Life, but you are, and as such, you're accountable for your sins because you've never dealt with your sins. And the penalty for these sins is death, and the penalty is that you will not be allowed into heaven. So you have a problem because you're still going to have to appear between before the great white throne of judgment and be judged by God, on the basis of your sins. But the problem with using that as your strategy in dealing with God is that nobody, nobody, me, you, anybody you ever knew, Mother Teresa, you name the person, nobody, with the exception of Jesus Christ, nobody lived a perfect life without sin. According to the scripture, it says, for all men and women have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we don't like to hear about this in America because we're, we're delusional. But we like to pretend that our sins are not so bad. It's not that God is, is a dictator, but the reality is, is that any sin whatsoever can disqualify you from entering the kingdom of heaven. In order to enter the kingdom of heaven through your works, your religious good works and your good deeds and being kind and loving people, those are all noble aspirations, but they don't justify you in the great white throne of judgment. 
they're not going to get you into heaven. You don't bargain with God to get into heaven. The only way you get into heaven is by putting your faith in Christ. Okay, so let's go back to this verse um, in Revelation chapter 20. And it says, and the location of this is all the people that rejected Christ are, are now having to stand before the great white throne of judgment. And according to these verses in Revelation, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. Now, why are the dead standing before God? Because when you reject Christ, you have to come to God based on your performance, your good deeds, and your works. And this is the great white throne of judgment. Now listen carefully. And I saw the dead, small and great. So that means ordinary, average people, poor people, the super trillionaire class, the billionaire class. Everybody who's rejected Christ stands before the great white throne of judgment. And God has the book opened, which is the book of life. Now listen carefully. And the dead were judged according to their works, according to what, how good they were. Let's just put it simply. A lot of people think that they're going to get into heaven if they're good, good enough. The Bible contradicts that as a deception. No matter how hard you try, you can never be good enough to get into heaven. It's impossible because the standard that God uses, his measurement for entrance into heaven, is you have to be 100% pure and sinless. And if you're not, you can't get into heaven. So that means, essentially, that every single person born, uh, we know is born with a fallen human nature, when they die, if they've already rejected Christ, when they die, the only option they have available to them is to stand before the judgment of the great white throne of judgment and the judge is going to determine whether or not your name is written in the book of life. And the critical truth, the takeaway that you have to grasp is that the only way you can get your name written in the book of life is not by donating to charities, being good, loving and kind, standing up for righteousness. All of those things are extremely important. But when the day is done, those things, no matter how virtuous they were, um, are not going to get you into heaven. You can't bargain with God. He's not going to. You are not going to bend God's eternal truths in His Word. You're not going to bend them, and shape them, and mold them to suit you know your lifestyle. And I'm not talking about any one lifestyle. I'm talking about any lifestyle which is built on the rejection of God. So it then it summarizes it for you in Revelation. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, or what is commonly known as hell. You say, I don't believe in hell. It doesn't matter whether you believe in hell or not. Hell is a real place. Hell does not exist because you believe or disbelieve in its existence. Hell is a reality for some people 
whether they believe in it or not. Again, God doesn't need your permission for hell to exist or not to exist. Hell exists. And you, but here's the, the, the liberating thing. And the, the liberating message of the Bible and makes the Bible different and unique than any other religious book is the fact that beginning in, in, in Genesis and ending in the book of Revelation, God gives you free will. There's no other religion, there's no other belief system that gives you total free will. You have the freedom to choose what you're going to believe in. But remember, just because you choose not to believe in God and not to believe in hell doesn't mean those things go away. And so you don't manage God. He's God. Okay, so the critical thing is anyone not found written in the book of life life was cast into the lake of fire. So what we have is people who deep, deep inside their personalities are are in moral conflict. It's suppressed. There's there's a war between right and wrong going on in their inner man or inner woman uh, right at this very moment. The reason for that is that every single person born is born with the knowledge of God in their hearts and minds, whether they admit it or not. It doesn't mean they may understand everything that's in the Bible. Somebody has to teach that to them. Somebody has to preach that to them. But they're born with an inner understanding that there is a God, and they are born with an inner understanding that there is a law of God, and certain things are right, and certain things are wrong. So you take, let's just take the issue of sex trafficking, especially with children. Anyone participating in human sex trafficking and the, the sin and sins that go along with it which are abs- absolutely monstrous, they know that what they are doing is evil and wrong. Some of them have given themselves over to the sin, and they have deadened themselves uh, over, over God's warnings to them to repent, to stop. Others are engaged in an internal battle and war where part of them is crying out, knowing that what they're doing is sinful and evil and wrong. How do they know that? Because the, the law of God is written on their hearts. So when people commit these atrocities and evil, they know they're violating the law of God. And so what people attempt to do is use various techniques and strategies to get around the Word of God, such as doing good deeds, such as donating lots of money to charities and, and, you know, orphanages and whatever, doing good deeds, trying to buy your way into heaven by, by donations and financing hospitals and uh, feeding the poor programs and all the rest of that stuff, all which are extremely important and noble. But in, when the day is done, they can't buy you uh, they can't buy you the right to have your name written in the book of life, and they can't buy you an entrance ticket into heaven. The only way to get into heaven is to put your faith in Jesus Christ, and that's the critical thing. So you see comp- what I call compensation-type behavior. People are compensating for their sinful lifestyle or sins 
by attempting to do good works and spending money. But if you're doing that, while at the same time rejecting God's free offer of salvation in Jesus Christ, you can't get into heaven, and you can't uh, have your name written in the Book of Life. You can't circumvent God's truth. Now, yes, absolutely, God wants you to obey him and love people and reach people and use your money or monies and your assets to do the most good, whether it's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ or truly ministering to orphans, not fake marketing ministries to orphans, but people who are really ministering to orphans and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, which wins souls. Those things are real, and you will receive God's blessing for them, but you can't buy your way into heaven because of them. The way your name is written in the book of life, again, is there's only one way. And Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So where is the Father? The Father is in heaven. If you want to go to the Father or go to heaven, according to Jesus, the only way you can do that, again, let's listen to his words. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. Jesus is telling mankind, telling you, telling me, that he alone is the way. He's saying, I am the way, the truth, which means I'm the only way. I'm the truth. I'm the real deal. I'm the real thing. I'm not the counterfeit. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What did he mean by that? The way to eternal life, the way into heaven, the way to have your name written in the book of life is to believe in Jesus and his words when he tells us, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, eternal life. But if you have eternal life, your name will also be written in the book of life. If your name is not written in the book of life, you will be sent for all eternity, whether you like it or not, into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. But remember, you chose your eternal destiny. And when you hear the gospel, and everybody just heard the gospel now, and if you haven't already acted on it, you should act on it now. When you understand what the gospel says, and I just explained it to you, then you, then you are responsible to act on the truth that you know, which is to put your faith in Christ. You can't, again, you can't get around it by trying to buy your way into heaven, by you know, funding charities or, or whatever. It's not going to get your name written in the Book of Life. Okay, now, why is what Jesus Christ saying, why is it true? Why is it not a fantasy or a fairy tale or, or a myth? You know, Joseph Campbell, Barth, this, this very best-selling, pumped-up author, always writing these books that insinuating that Christianity and the Bible are myths, mythology by which we can live. That's, the, that's synonymous with saying that they're little white lies that have good little uh, stories in them. No, they're not good little lies. The Bible isn't just a little book. The Bible is the only book that can rightfully be classified as the Word of God. You say, why? I mean, and that's a good question. You can ask why. God doesn't dislike people 
who want to know the truth and why. God doesn't have a problem with that. Because if you really do want the truth, you will discover the truth. He will reveal it to you. And you can start by reading his word. Okay, so let me read you something or a few things from the word of God. This is what makes Jesus Christ totally different than any other person who claimed to be God, any guru, any spiritual teacher, any enlightened master, any supernatural experience. Witchcraft is not going to give you eternal life. But for those of you that are into witchcraft or know somebody who's into witchcraft, there's nothing in the literature of witchcraft which promises you the gift of eternal life based on a, a reality. Witchcraft will not get you into heaven. You can cast all the spells you want. You can do all the rituals you want. It doesn't get you're going to be knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. I produced a movie of that title, Knocking on Heaven's Door. Bob Dylan did an excellent rock and roll song called Knocking on Heaven's Door. But knocking on heaven's door and being in heaven are two different things. Knocking on heaven's door implies that you're on the outside looking in. Being on the outside looking in doesn't get you into heaven. The door has to be open. And God, by the way, is love. The biblical God is love. He's not some monstrous God. The God of the Bible is love. And let me read you a verse in Revelation that summarizes that truth. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, uh, Jesus, John is recounting to us, the Apostle John is recounting to us what he saw when he was taken up into heaven. And so, um, in Revelation chapter 3, um, verse 19, it says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Okay, so what God is saying to us is that those people that he really loves, which is everybody, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Not like a lunatic parent, like a loving Heavenly Father, because that's who he is, a loving Heavenly Father. And then in the next verse, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So in this verse, we see a living example of knocking at heaven's door. And in this particular example from the Word of God, Jesus Christ is literally doing this now in the lives of billions of people. On a continual basis, Jesus Christ is literally, and in a spiritual sense, knocking on the doors of their hearts 
and knocking on the doors of their lives. Again, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What door? All right, so here we have to understand this positionally. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The implication to that is, is that Jesus Christ, you have not yet invited Jesus Christ into your life, and you have not yet become born again. Because if you had been born again, and if you had already opened the door of your heart and life to Jesus, you would be born again. But Jesus is still imploring you. He's calling you. He's, Jesus literally is knocking on the door of your life right at this very second. I remember hearing the Word of God, and at the same time knowing, I couldn't hear it in an audible voice, but knowing that at that moment, this was decades ago, that at that moment Jesus Christ was knocking on the door of my life, and that he had given me the power, just like he's given you the same power, to open that door, and not pretend that I didn't hear him so I could justify my ignoring him. I knew he was knocking on the door of my life, and the expectation was obvious. He expected me to open the door of my life and my heart and invite Christ in. That's what this is all about, the love of God, the love of God towards you and the love of God towards every man and woman ever born. So, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. So what that means is, if you respond to Jesus Christ knocking on the door of your life right now, knocking on the door of your heart right now, if you respond by heeding that and then volitionally opening the door, then he will come into you and dine with you. What does that mean? You're going to have a four-course luxury meal? No, that's not what it's talking about. The term dining means he's going to have you open the door of your life to Jesus. Jesus is going to come in, and you will enter into an incredible, loving relationship with the God of the universe. So the term dine is really speaking of an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. You will have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He will come into your life. You will not be asked to be a religious freak, a religious nut, or a religious wacko. That is not what Jesus Christ is coming into your life. He's coming into your life to make you born again so your name will be written in the book of life. That's what this is all about. So, so many people that you know, when you pray for them, that's why I always ask people who listen to this program to enter into intercessory prayer for me, this ministry, the people that you know, the people that God puts in your life, people in your family. Every time you pray, as God directs you to pray, every time you pray, you're releasing God to knock on the door of people's hearts. And some of those people you know very well and love very deeply, and you would be horribly grieved if they were not to be in heaven. But before that painful reality, could possibly emerge, they will stand before, if they have not opened the door of their heart to Jesus Christ, then they're going to stand before God at the great white throne of judgment, and 
their name will not be written in the book of life. Because when you go back to all the times that Jesus Christ was knocking on the door of their hearts, they refused to let him in. And one of the things that the reasons why God is knocking on the door of their hearts or your heart is because he wants to cleanse you of all sin so you can enter heaven and so you can have your name written in the book of life. I mean, that's fair. You can't be more fair. And you cannot blame God. I hear this all the time, and it's, you know, people who can't figure this out. You can't blame God for being cruel and a hateful God by not letting people into heaven. It doesn't work that way. God has given everyone free choice and a free will. Everyone has the capacity given to them by God to receive God's free offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. And anyone who wants to can get into heaven if they will simply ask God for forgiveness of their sins, repent of their sins, and then invite Christ, open the door of their heart, and invite Christ into their life to make them born again. If you will do that, as simple a request as it is, then you are guaranteed that your name will be written in the Book of Life. In fact, it will be so phenomenal that all those people who chose to open the doors of their hearts to Jesus and became born again, all of those people will not even have to stand before the great white throne of judgment. Because when you are truly born again, it's guaranteed that your name is written in the book of life, and you're guaranteed entrance into heaven and guaranteed that you will have a brand new glorified body and live for all eternity in heaven with Christ and everybody else who has received Christ. And when you arrive in heaven, it will begin with the most incredible cosmic celebration, a party beyond all parties, known as the, mar- the, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it will be indescribable in terms of its fun, beauty, joy, the glory of God descending on people. You see, the reason people need drugs and booze and everything else to to anesthetize their pain and to give them uh, an artificial high until they come down or crash or have a hangover or whatever, the reason people need all that is because deep down inside they're miserable. When you get to heaven by faith, if you choose to, that feeling of emptiness or anxiety or depression or guilt or remorse or, or, you know, just being in a perpetual bad mood or whatever, all of that stuff will be gone. It will be completely gone. You will be filled with supernatural joy, supernatural peace, supernatural love, supernatural, uh, and you'll be in a supernatural paradise. It will be a paradise that exceeds the phenomenal paradise that the Garden of Eden was. This will be beyond Eden, beyond the Garden of Eden. Now, why would anybody in their right mind give all of that up for a transhumanist or humanistic delusion where mankind makes their own paradise? Because we've seen, and I've talked a great deal about so-called man-made paradises, which are nothing more than cruel dictatorships all over planet Earth. That is not where you want to be. And you say, well, I don't think God's fair. Why is God not fair? He gave you the choice, the freedom of choice, free will. 
He did, he's not forcing anybody to go to heaven. You get a choice. You can keep the door shut and not let Jesus in, or you can respond to Jesus knocking on the door of your heart and life, which, by the way, simultaneously is the entrance doorway into the kingdom of heaven. I don't know how you can lose on that deal. You can't. In my book, Power from On High, I talk about my quest, my journey from, from being raised a militant atheist, existentialist and humanist who despised and hated Christianity above all religions. I literally would, if I was walking on a Sunday morning in New York City and I passed by a church, just occasionally, every once in a while, I'd spit on the ground. It, it was my way of rebelling against God and rebelling against Christianity. How stupid I was. How much I regret being so stupid. Even though it doesn't, it's not good enough just because I was raised that way. I had a choice. But you know what? God didn't slam the door in my face just because I did that. I committed many other sins, like many of you have. In fact, all of you have committed sins. All of us have committed sins. That's why the Bible says we're sinners saved by grace or unmerited favor. So God sends Jesus Christ, and as I share with you in my book, Power from One Eye, because I'm not just writing about this academically. I saw the great white light. I experienced cosmic consciousness. I experimented scientifically with OBEs, out-of-body experiences, mental telepathy, studied and majored in altered states of consciousness at the University of Missouri. Uh, experimented scientifically, not to get high, scientifically with psychedelic drugs like LSD and mescaline, which I do not recommend, by the way. And the irony of all that is that when I was experimenting as a young boy uh, with mescaline and psychedelic drugs, because I read uh, Huxley's book, Brave New World, and he wrote a book called Heaven and Hell and the Doors of Perception. I experimented with these the psychedelic drugs because I was trying to find final reality, which is a fancy word, a fancy way of saying I was trying to find God. But here's the weird thing. Even though I didn't believe in God, and I was trying to, to enter a state of higher consciousness and, and purify myself by working out my karma, the, the, the law of sowing and reaping, but from an Eastern mystical perspective, because I also experimented with meditation. And you know, chanting a mantra like "Om," and experimenting with uh, the stuff that Dr. John C. Lilly got involved with, the famous scientist who discovered that porpoises were very intelligent, the famous scientist who invented the deep tank, where you sit in an isolation and in, in body temperature water, and you deprive your senses, and that encourages your mind to be free from uh, conventional reality, and you alter your state of consciousness through, through a, a combination of psychedelic drugs and a sensory deprivation chamber. I built my own amateur sensory de deprivation chamber because I was very into doing what I believed in, even if what I believed in was completely false, which in many cases it turned out to be. But what kept happening to me, what I noticed, is even though I didn't believe in God, when I would take these psychedelic drugs, I would continually 
it was like these thoughts, these ideas, these dreams, these pictures, these visions of this battle between good and evil, this battle between a, a biblical God and Satan, uh, this battle between the demons and God's angels. Even though I didn't believe in any of it, these ideas, these thoughts would come to me when I was experimenting with psychedelic drugs, and I could not escape the continual theme of right versus wrong, God versus the devil, love versus hate, um, uh, biblical truth versus, you know, whatever feels good, do it. I could continually, without my permission, and God doesn't need our permission. I mean, he does in the sense of he's not going to force us to do something, but his will is going to be done whether we like it or not, in the, in the long term. I would continually find myself faced with pictures, images, thoughts, ideas, philosophical struggles, whatever you want to call it. There was a war raging in my internal soul. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there or are there. And the psychedelic drugs simply opened the doors of perception. And for a moment, I could see in a very imperfect and potentially dangerous way the reality of the great spiritual war playing out on planet Earth. But it was only, as many of you know, and I go into detail about it in my book, Power From On High, as many of you know, I experienced a supernatural miracle of Jesus Christ that changed my life forever, and it changed my belief system forever. Even though I was rebelling against God, what God did in terms of supernaturally revealing himself to me caused me to be saved and born again. And from that moment on, this is going back, you know, decades ago, I was miraculously born again, fleeing from a Christian religious retreat on the back roads of Missouri, dirt roads, hitchhiking in the middle of nowhere by the cornfields. I had a supernatural field of dreams type of experience, but it was far more intense than that which changed my life forever. Now, what made that possible? What made that possible? What made that possible was the fact that even though, and, and I go into my journeys of experimenting with the Kundalini spirit of, of Hinduism and uh, opening the chakras with yoga, meditation, and deep breathing, and on and on and on and on. But what radically changed me was that God supernaturally revealed himself to me with such intensity and such vibrancy and such a powerful reality. I'm not, look, let me get this straight if you don't know me or if you've never heard the Paul McGuire report before. I didn't have a quote religious experience with Tinkerbell gently knocking on my window pane. I didn't have, you know, a fluff and fold moment with Jesus, okay? I didn't have a little randy dandy experience and called myself Christian. I had an experience that was the equivalent of the doors of the kingdom of heaven opening up, God giving me, because I was too, too deluded to do it by myself, God rescuing me from the lake of fire, God reaching down from heaven in a supernatural way, which I explain in the book, Power From On High, God reaching down from heaven in a supernatural way. And it was if, at that moment, it was as if the sky cracked open and I saw God 
And I knew at that moment that Jesus Christ was the real God and the true God, and everything else that I was into was an illusion, a deception, a counterfeit. And it revolutionized my life forever. And it can revolutionize your life forever. But what, what made that possible was the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, you don't play games anymore. You come to the end of the line in your life when you can't use a trick or you don't have a playing card or a get-out-of-jail-free card. You run out of tricks. You're trying to trick your way out of the eyesight of God. But God pursues you anyway because he loves you despite your sins. See, he loves you anyway. And some of you need to hear that because God is knocking on the door of your heart right now. And he loves you and is reaching out towards you right now, asking you to open the door of your heart so that he can come in, so that you can be born again, so that you can taste for yourself and see for yourself the reality, the beauty, the love, the forgiveness, and the joy all contained in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not some little head game. It's not some, quote, system trying to hack your brain or get inside your head. God isn't playing games with you. What God does is motivated by love. But, it is, but at a certain point, you've got to play by God's eternal rules, because those eternal rules are designed to protect all the people that he loves and guarantee and guard the entranceway into the kingdom of heaven. And that's what it's all about, getting into heaven. I mean, how long do you want to live in this world where the rulers of this world, pathological psychopaths and liars, devising schemes and strategies to oppress, to rule and reign over that which is not theirs to rule and reign over? I'm talking about the souls of men. You've got to understand what this game is about. It's beyond the game. I explain it in power from on high in a way that anybody can understand. This is not a game that is sophisticated. This is a simple game. But what? who was Nimrod? Who was Nimrod? Nimrod was the head and founder of ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel or Babel. That's who Nimrod was. But Nimrod, the translation of the name Nimrod, literally means, from the ancient languages, it means a hunter of men and women, a hunter of men and women. Nimrod is a type of Satan. Satan is a hunter of men and women because he wants to capture them. And his game, Satan's game, is to capture men and women so he can possess their souls for all eternity. This is about stealing, an attempt to steal souls from God. That's what Nimrod was about, too. He was a hunter of men and women. And today we have men and women uh, who have enormous money and power who are in the business of hunting men and women. And, and the game is to capture your soul. And how do you capture a soul? You devise strategies that will prevent them from entering the kingdom of heaven. Strategies such as changing their DNA without them even being aware of it. Because he knows 
but the, the pursuer, the hunter of men and women, the devil, Satan, he knows that the only way into heaven is you have to put your faith in Christ. But that offer is only made to genetically certifiable human beings that are human beings in their DNA or genetic code. Somebody who mated with a Nephilim or Rephium or fallen angel doesn't get the opportunity to go into heaven. They're going to be sentenced into the lake of fire. Okay, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. We'll be back in just a moment. Once again, this is Paul McGuire. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. We live in what the Bible calls the last days. The book of Revelation is one book among among every book in the Bible which references what is known as Bible prophecy. Isn't it staggering that Christian churches would forbid the teaching of Bible prophecy uh, to their congregation? They literally outlaw the Word of God. Well, whether they outlaw the Word of God or not, God's Word is eternal. It can't be turned over by any man or woman or denomination or whatever. So what this is all about, everything that I've talked to you about, is built on the foundation of the historical and scientific reality of an actual resurrection of Jesus Christ that really did occur in real space-time history. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a mythology. It really happened. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an expression of the universe. I I chose deliberately a generic term by saying it's an expression of the universe. But a far more accurate way of expressing that would be to say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a precise uh, expression from the biblical God, the Creator, capital C, the infinite personal living God of the universe. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the action that makes it possible for any man or any woman who chooses to to receive the free gift of eternal life and gain entrance into heaven for all eternity in a brand new glorified and eternal body. And that is what is awaiting everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. The only way you can get your name written in the book of life, which is a legal guarantee that you will get into heaven, the only way you can get your name written in the book of life is to have come to the place in your life where you choose to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you open the door of your heart and mind, and with a choice of your will, you choose to invite Jesus Christ into your life to make you born again. If you do that by faith, God will at that exact moment make you born again. It's not contingent on an emotion or feelings. He will make you born again, and he will give you eternal life. And that's real, and it's true. It's it's not a myth. It's not a fantasy. It's not a theory like Darwin's theory of evolution, which has no factual basis for even suggesting its possibility. It's a complete fantasy. The Bible is true, and the words of God are true, and the words of Jesus Christ are true. So the, the message of, of what societies call Easter or whatever is really the message of the resurrection. And once again, this is no small thing. When you compare and contrast the reality of the life of Jesus Christ 
the death and burial of Jesus Christ, the supernatural miracles performed by Jesus Christ, and yes, the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. When you compare the life of Christ with any guru, with the teachings of Hinduism and Buddhism and all the other religions and cults and spiritual belief systems, there is no way that it even comes close. There's no way that all these other things have any power or authority. That's what I learned when I was standing uh, in a large open place. And it, it was as if, not it, 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 I didn't physically see the sky crack open. It was as if the sky cracked open and I saw God, not in a physical sense, but in an overwhelming spiritual sense, because at that moment, I knew that I knew that I knew that everything that I was into in my entire life, all the New Age stuff and the Eastern mystical stuff and the psychedelic drugs, I, again, I talk about it in Power From On High, all of those mistaken counterfeit spiritual journeys got exposed in a, in a moment when he revealed to me supernaturally that Jesus Christ was true and everything else that I was into was an illusion. It was, uh, it was a, a spiritual deception. And for the first time in my life, I knew that I knew that I knew that it was only Jesus Christ who was God, and everything else and every other thing that I was into was just a trip. It was just a game. It was just uh, a psychedelic experience. It was not really real. It, it was an experience that seemed real, but the only thing that was really real was Jesus. And in the same way, you know, you can talk about the fantasies and delusions of transhumanism and virtual reality and virtual worlds. Well, that's nice, but those are just fantasies. They're technological fantasies. They're not real. It's only what's real which is going to set you free. So once again, when Jesus Christ says the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but through me, we are to take that at its word. We are to take that at, at face value. And so if you find yourself in a weird place, opposed by weird forces, faced with with circumstances that you can't put together in your human mind, then you have been brought to that place by God. I'm not saying God wanted that to happen, but for whatever reason, God has allowed you to be brought to that place so that you could finally hear among all the noise and clatter of this world, you could finally hear Jesus Christ knocking on the door of your heart personally. and asking you to open the door of your life and let him in so that you could be saved, so that you could receive the free gift of eternal life, so that it is guaranteed that your name is written in the book of life. And when you do that, you're born again, your name is written in the book of life, and you will live for all eternity in a real heaven, a real new heaven and new earth, a real new Jerusalem, and you will be there with other eternal beings, all of us together, sharing the fact that we have been given by God brand new glorified God bodies. And if you want to read a depiction of heaven, then skim through the book of Revelation, and you'll see a, a very clear description of what heaven's like and what the alternative is like. I need your help in reaching people with this message because people are hungry for the truth. 
I talk to them on a regular basis, either through email or various ways of communicating or in person or whatever. And the pressures of what is happening in the world right now have increased. People are looking for answers. And the only answer that is real and trustworthy is the answer that Jesus Christ has. But they need to be reached. Somebody needs to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. So I need your help in being a fisher of men. God has called all of us, not just me, to be fishers of men, to, to not in the sense of Nimrod or Satan, but in the sense of winning people through love and speaking the truth in love to the saving message of Jesus Christ so that they can possess eternal life, so that they can have their sins forgiven and live forever with Christ in heaven. The other stuff is just fantasies. So I'm asking you to pray, to seek the Lord, and ask the Lord, what would he have you do in terms of giving a donation, a gift, a financial contribution that will allow us to reach as many people as we can? You want to change society? I want to change society. But the way you change society is you have to change individuals. And you can't reach people whose hearts are hardened by, by lies and non-truths unless you have the, the resources that you need to speak and communicate the truth to them. So I need your help. I need your partnership with me in reaching people for Christ in America, but all over the world. I need your help in terms of praying for me in this ministry and everyone associated with this ministry. And I need your help in terms of helping us spread the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ through social media and every other avenue of communication while, by the way, those doors are still open. There's no guarantee that the doors will be open to communicate the truth in the future. We, if, we if America continues on the path that it continues on, we will lose the freedom to preach the gospel. It's that simple. But if we stand up now in love, in intelligence, and in wisdom, we still have an opportunity. That opportunity is undeserved. It's, it's based on God's grace. So we need to act while we still can, and we need to pray with an intensity while we still have the freedom to do so. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. Mm -hmm.